0: Well, one thing you can say, comedian Steve Martin was at least being honest when he said these words, I love money, I love everything about it, I bought some pretty good stuff, got me a pair of $300 socks, got a fur sink, an electric dog polisher, a gasoline powered turtleneck sweater, and of course, I bought some dumb stuff too. (laughs) At least he was being honest. Today we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about financial things. uh, Using the words of Christ and the word of God. And that makes us come to terms with something that is an epidemic in Western civilization and especially in American culture. Let's just get this out of the way right up front. We're all wealthy. All right? Compared to the rest of the world and compared to the history of the world, everyone in this room... Enjoys a measure of wealth. Uh, if you have a choice of what clothes you're going to wear, if you have a choice of what you're going to eat for lunch, uh, if you own a vehicle, if you have a, a nice roof over your head, etc., etc., and that's that's all of us, uh, then we're we're all wealthy, and so we uh, we want to get that out of the way right off the bat. But we need to come to terms with probably what is the number one competitor with biblical Christianity in America. Arguably, the number one competition is materialism. It's dumb stuff, as uh, Steve Martin called it. You think about it, whether it's just pure idolatry on one end of the spectrum, uh, of bowing down to the almighty dollar, of serving uh, goods and possessions on one end, or just uh, the constant tug on the other end of the spectrum, the, the constant distraction that all things materialistic are to all of us, We must confess that pretty much money is on everyone's mind pretty much all the time with a few interruptions here and there. Everything involves money. Everything involves the issue of how we're going to spend our resources. We're all spending money right this moment. In every moment of our lives, if you have a utility, if you have a cell phone, if you have car insurance, if you have any type of financial obligation, you are constantly spending money 24-7. And so it's on our minds. And Jesus knew this would be the case. It was true in his day, and it's true in our day. And because it's true, Jesus said more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Money is a window into our hearts, and the Lord Jesus knew this, and He took great advantage of it in His itinerant ministry in Israel. So today is financial advice from the Lord Jesus Christ. Will our ears be open? Will we be submissive to the Word of God today? Will we be not only hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word? Will we put action to our faith? Will we show the Lord that we love Him by obeying Him? Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter six, midpoint of the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to hear some. Uh, uh, we're going to hear some financial advice from the Lord Jesus from this text. It's Matthew six nineteen to twenty four. So you follow along as I read this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are the words of your Son, the Lord Jesus. I pray you'd give us ears to hear and a heart willing and enabled to trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We pray in his name. Amen. The main point of this text this morning is this. Jesus persuasively commands his followers to... To pile up treasures in heaven instead of selfishly hoarding them on earth. The only commands in this passage are in verses 19 and 20. The negative, do not store up, and the positive, store up. This brings us to the main point of this entire passage. And by the way, it is a unit of thought. It is one paragraph. Jesus here persuasively commands his followers, his disciples... Those who know Him and love Him and trust Him to pile up, to store up, to lay up treasures in heaven instead of selfishly hoarding them here on earth. That is what we must unpack this morning, what we must deal with. That's the main point. That's the big idea. But the question comes, why? Why is it wrong to hoard? Why is it wrong to pile up treasures on earth instead of in heaven? Why is that a problem for disciples of Christ? Why is this an issue with the Lord Jesus? And that, my friends, is the burden of this text. The burden of this text is answering the why question. And in this passage, Jesus gives us four reasons why. Four reasons to persuade us, to incline us to obey Him in these things. I think that gives us insight into the power of wealth right there. The fact that the majority of this text is the Lord giving us reasons why to persuade us not to just, He could have just said, don't store up treasures, store up on earth and be, and that'd be the end of it. But instead, the majority of this passage is setting before His followers, here are reasons for your heart, for your mind, why this is the best way to live, why this is the right way to live, and why This is the way disciples live. So let's unpack these four reasons this morning. Number one, the first reason is because only heavenly treasure is secure. Only heavenly treasure is secure is secure. This is in verses 19 and 20. So we have the prohibition in verse 19, the command in verse 20, but this saying in between both of these, this repeated saying, where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, or where neither moth nor rust destroys, and thieves do not break in or steal. The point is, only heavenly treasure is secure. Flip it, earthly treasure, earthly treasure is never 100% secure. This is reason number one. He begins then with the gnawing moth on that precious cloth. And in their day, cloth would have been a valuable treasure that they would have held on to closely. And the moth would come and gnaw away at it, eat away at it. And he moves from that moth on the cloth to rust, eating away at precious metal or an iron implement that would be used in a vocation. Rust slowly corroding, invisible at first, eating away at this precious resource. The point there in verse 19 is earthly treasure is never secure. It's never 100% safe. And I think what he alludes to here with moth and rust are those slow, natural causes of depreciation of wealth. Those things that are at first imperceptible, that we don't even notice are going on, stealing from us things like termites that are unseen and unknown at first, or inflation, or a weak dollar, or a sinking stock market. How about dry rot of tires? You know, you can have five hundred dollar tires and they can be perfect and and they can just sit there long enough that they you not even have a mile on them and they can be ruined by dry rot we've had the erosion of bricks at our house you may have had warping of boards how about the slow cracking and unsettling of a house foundation because of a drought just day by day week by week month by month Don't even really notice, don't see it, don't know what's happening until it shows up. These are slow, natural causes that eat away at earthly treasures. And then he talks about a thief. They lived in houses made of mud walls, and thieves often wouldn't go through the door or window. They would actually dig through the wall. And so people would get a box and they would hide their valuables under the floorboards, dig them into the dirt in their house, and that's where they would store their treasures. And Jesus here speaks of the thief that digs through the wall and seeks to find those treasures. Here he speaks not of slow and natural causes, but more of sinful and traumatic causes or losses to our assets. Here we would think of things like embezzlement, unfair taxes... Uh, Income redistribution by a liberal government. We might think of fraud or scams or, or even a sudden armed robbery in our home or on our person. These are sinful, traumatic losses of our earthly treasures. The first reason then given why we should follow these commands to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth is that only heavenly treasure is what? Secure. 100% safe. Now, I think I have stumbled upon, maybe you will agree with me, the ultimate American example of all of this. And it is the self-storage unit. This is, this is so American now i 'll qualify all of this just by saying I know at times there are they are a necessity. People are moving there are certain times of life where we just need a little more space for our stuff. but I think in general, I think in general, a great example of hoarding earthly treasures is the whole dynamic of the self storage unit. Now I drove by one in town the other day, and it 's got high fences ten feet high it's got the barbed wire going out so you can't climb over the fence. Ben gate that you got to go through with security cameras everywhere every metal door with huge padlocks on them right hmm i wonder if there's a threat of people stealing stuff in self-storage units i just wonder you know And, and you keep all of the thieves out and what's happening on the inside mice rats moths cockroaches getting into the stuff there the stuff of the self-storage unit. What an amazing... I, 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 for, I forbid to, uh, to ever have a self-storage unit. I just will not do it. I mean, I just want to exhort you this morning. If you've got stuff in a self-storage unit that's not temporary, not because you're moving, not because it's an absolute necessity, but it's just there year after year after year after year. Give it away, for crying out loud. Do something with it. I mean, how many people are paying more in rent for the self-storage unit than the stuff in there is worth? All right? Have a garage sale. Set it out in your driveway with a big sign, free. I mean, sell the stuff. Take the money. Give it to something that has a purpose in life. These self-storage units can just border on the ridiculous. The bottom line, folks, is earthly treasure is never 100% secure. So why are we investing so much in what is ultimately insecure? That's the question. Especially in contrast to the bank of heaven. The bank of heaven. No barbed wire, no fences, no cameras, no armed guards, no threat whatsoever. Everything is open and everything is safe in the bank of heaven. There's not a lock anywhere to be found. The application then is simple. It's obvious. We need to live on less than we make. We need to strategize. We need to... Grind in our jobs. We need to downsize in our lives so that we can give more to what matters. So that we can give more to our church, more to missionaries, more to ministries. So that we can store up for our children as the Bible commands of us. It is a wise person who uh, reserves for their children. This is how we are to live our lives. A challenge is a couple... This week to sit down and think about how you can downsize, how you can strategize, how you can live on less and invest more in heavenly securities where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Jim Elliot said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What he cannot lose. So that's reason number one. Only heavenly treasure is secure. Reason number two is verse 21. Our hearts follow our treasure. Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first thing I've always thought when I saw this verse was I expected it to be flipped. I expected it to say where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But that's not what Jesus says. He basically says in verse 21, our second reason to store up in heaven and not on earth. The second reason is our hearts follow our treasure. This is reality. Now, you have to understand what he means by heart here for this to make sense. Biblical heart is your CPU of your life. Central processing unit. Your heart is mission control center of your life. When you see the word heart in the Bible, it means your mind and your feelings, and your will, all right? It's the inner man, it's the total package. So where your mind, emotions, and will, that's what he's saying here, look at verse 21, where your treasure is, there your mind will be, where your treasure is, there your feelings will be, where your treasure is, there your volition will be, okay? Okay? In other words, where your treasure is, there's where your affections are. There's where your decisions are. There's where your energy is. There's where your life is. There's where your attention lies, right? And really, verse 21 can apply beyond money, can apply beyond uh, things of stewardship. I'm going to stay focused on that topic today, but verse 21 can apply to all kinds of things in life. Where your treasure is, where you, what you value the most, what you set your love upon, that's where your mind will and affections and decisions and energy will be. For example, imagine for a moment you had a thousand dollars a week of disposable income. Just a thousand bucks you could do anything with in the world a week. Three options. Option number one, you're gonna, you're gonna bet that money on your favorite football team every week. That's what you choose to do. You're going to bet it on your favorite football team. Where are your thoughts going to be that week? Where's your attention and energy going to be? How well are you going to know the line, know the, know the injury report, know the opponent, know what's going to happen with your favorite football team? Because you've got $1,000 invested every week on the outcome of their game. Okay, option number two. You're going to take your $1,000 a week and you're going to put it in Apple stock. Apple stock, a thousand dollars a week. You're gonna get, I think you get like one share, maybe, I don't know. You're gonna get your share of Apple stock, and you're gonna, are you not gonna get up every morning and see what the price of Apple stock is? Are you not gonna read their reports? You're not gonna follow their happenings and, and their announcements of their new products? Yes, you will, because you're investing in that company. Third option, you're gonna take your thousand dollars of weekly disposable income, and you're gonna invest it in your church. You're going to invest it in missions. You're going to invest it in the gospel. Where's your attention going to be? Where's your energy going to be? Where's your work and your presence and your thoughts and your feelings and your love going to be? Right? You see, our our hearts follow our, uh, our treasure. It's been well said. You want to know where someone's heart is? Examine their checkbook. You want to know where someone's heart is? You want to know whether someone is spiritual or not? Whether someone is godly or not? Whether someone loves the Lord or not? Examine their checkbook and examine the credit card statement. There is no greater insight into our value system than how we spend our money. This says volumes about This says more about us than all the words we could ever uh, say out of our mouth. Now, I'll ask you as a disciple this morning, because I think this is what Jesus is driving toward here. I think this is a very positive message He is giving to us. As a disciple of Christ, as a follower, don't you want your mind set on things above? Right? Don't you want your feelings and affections set on God and not this world as a disciple? Don't you want your decisions to be made in light of eternity as a disciple? See, that's what's being offered to us here. If you want all of this to be true, if you want this to be true, then put your money there and it will be true. (laughs) That's what he's saying in verse 21. Just go ahead and pay it forward. Go ahead and send your money there. And because of the power of money in our day-to-day life, then this will be true. My mind will be set on things above and not things of this earth reason number 3 reason number 3 is verses 22 and 23 and I'm going to sum it up this way to set uh, to store up in heaven and not on earth is the difference between living in the light and living in the darkness it's that important it's that radical Look at verses 22 and 23. By the way, these are some of the hardest words to understand that Jesus ever spoke. They're hard for two reasons. They're hard just to understand what they mean in and of themselves. And they're hard to understand how they fit into this context. You with me? In fact, the Nazmi Bible has paragraph from 19 to 21, has 22 and 23 as a separate paragraph, and has 24 as yet a third paragraph, when in fact it's all one big thought, okay? So the great challenge is, what does this mean and how does it fit? I think it sums up this way. This is the difference between living in the darkness and living in the light. Now here, let me read it. The eye is the lamp of the body. Literally, it says the lamp of the body is the eye. That's just hard to understand, isn't it? The lamp of the body is the eye. So then, if your eye is clear your whole body will be full of light. So now it's sounding like he's talking about a window. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Okay? If then the light that is in you is darkness, if the light is darkness, how great is the darkness? Everything about this is hard, right? (laughs) Very puzzling. First of all, we have to understand a little bit of the backdrop. The backdrop is that the ancients believed... And viewed the eye as the gateway of light, literally, into the body. And then also figuratively. So they viewed the eyeball as the the gateway of light, sunlight, into your body, meaning into your mind and into your life. And so if the eye was cloudy and bad... You had no light into your mind, you were unenlightened, your life would be bad. If your eye is good, your life would be good. Jesus takes this saying that they were familiar with, and he uses it as a spiritual metaphor here. He uses it as a sober warning. That's the main thing to remember. Verses 22 and 23 are an illustration buried in the midst of this financial advice that represent a sober warning to how crucial this is. It's the difference between light and darkness. So let's break it down. He says, first of all, if your eye is clear in the NASB, this is the word single. If your eye is single or sincere or healthy or good or generous, that's all the possibilities here that people have come up with. The eye is sincere, healthy, good, or generous, meaning this, okay? Stay with me. What he is saying here is that the eye is good, meaning I can take in God's light. I can take in God's truth. I have spiritual perception. Of how God sees things. Of how God values things. People over possessions. If my eye is good, if it's not divided, if it's not unhealthy, if it's not stingy, if it's not selfish, then I can take in this precept of God's Word. Okay, so Jesus is giving us a principle of financial stewardship. And what he is saying in verse 22 is, if your eye is good, you will be able to see this you 'll be able to understand this you 'll be able to comprehend this what 's the this verses nineteen and twenty you with me that 's what 's happening here okay and he says if you are able to see this precept about money and understand it, then your whole life will shine <laughs> you will your body your life will be radiant it 'll be illuminated. In other words, he's basically saying you're going to be a generous person and you're going to be the light of the world. You're going to be filled with light. The other side is the darkness, the bad eye. This is a person spiritually blinded to God's truth. They can't see the reality of verses 19 and 20. And so their eye is evil. They've got the evil eye. They've got the stingy eye, greedy, lustful, lust of the eye. This person with a bad eye then, listen, sees sees meaning and sees life in possessions. It says life is bound up in stuff. That's where happiness is. That's where joy is. That's a bad eye. That's a person they can't see. They're, They're cloudy. And if you've got this bad eye, guess what? You will never have enough possessions. You will never have enough stuff you 'll never have enough money you 'll never feel secure and when you never have enough, then your whole life is an endless pursuit of more. got to get more got to have more. This is a bad eye. This is a light full of a life full of darkness. This is a person who values possessions over people values this earth over heaven. Values the world over the gospel. It's a bad eye. What he is giving us in 22 and 23 might be the most important part of this passage. He's warning us, listen, about the blinding power of materialism. And if there's anybody threatened by this, it's us. Because we are all wealthy. There is a blinding power to greed and materialism that we don't even realize we're blinded by. It is so powerful. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and let's hear how Paul describes it. 1 Timothy 6 is another warning, and I think this is really commentary on these two verses in Matthew. I'm going to start in verse... Let's start in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain, a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich... How many shows can you find on t v that are basically titled that you know here 's how to get rich here 's why you should get rich here's the great joys of being rich. those who want to get rich fall they don 't soar they're not happy they're not content they fall they fall into temptation they fall into a snare. They fall into many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Sounds like darkness to me. Sounds like somebody stumbling through life. Can't see clearly. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. This is often misquoted, isn't it? It's often quoted as money is the root of all sorts of evil. Money is neutral. Money is like hours. Money is like food. Food. It's neutral. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it, some by longing for money, have wandered away from the faith. They've lost their Christianity. They've lost their faith because money took the place of God. They wandered away from the faith and they pierced themselves with many griefs. Self-destruction. Shooting themselves in the foot, stabbing themselves in the side, they piercing themselves. God's not piercing them; they're piercing themselves with many sorrows and many sadnesses because they've loved money and they've longed for money, and they, and this is a foolish and harmful desire. I think Paul is 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 giving us exactly what Jesus meant in verses twenty two and twenty three. Let's go back to our text in Matthew because that last line is is also intriguing. He says, if then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? How massive? How mega is the darkness? What is he saying? He's saying, if you think you have light, if you think your eye is good and your life is full of light, but in fact you're blinded by materialism, you are doubly blind. You're blind, but you're blind to being blind. You're in the dark, but you're in the dark to being in the dark. So how great is that kind of darkness? Jesus told a story to illustrate this point. He said, a rich man, I've, uh, I've taken a couple of liberties to just make this sound a little fresh for you this morning. A rich man had bumper crops year after year after year. And he thought to himself, what am I going to do? I don't have enough storage space for all my stuff. I mean, all my crops. I've got it. I need to upsize my barn so I can hoard, I mean, so I can save my stuff and my crops. Then I will kick back on my balcony overlooking my empire. I'll put my feet up on the footrest and I'll say, soul... You have more than enough goods and more than enough food for many years, probably for the rest of your life. It's time to retire and live for yourself. It's time to take it easy. It's time for a perpetual vacation. It's time to feast and to drink your field every day of your life and organize your seashells. Soul, it's time for you to do you. Be happy and don't worry about others, especially. And then in the midst of this daydream comes a voice from heaven like a thunder of lightning and thunder from God himself. You fool. Tonight you are going to die. And who is going to own all of your stuff? Answer? Not you. (laughs) That's the point there. Who's going to own all of these grain bins filled with grain? All of these self-storage units filled with stuff? All of these attics filled with stuff and garages filled with stuff? Who's going to own it all? Not you. Someone else is going to own it. And then Jesus gives the moral of the story. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's Luke 12:13 to 21. If you are not giving, if you are not giving, you are living in darkness. That's not my opinion, that's the words of Christ. Giving is living. Giving is loving. And if you're not loving and you're not living, you're living in darkness. If you are a member of this church and you are not giving, you are breaking your promise to the rest of us. You promised when you joined this church to financially support this church as God enables you. And if you're not doing that, You are breaking that promise. And you are edging ever closer to the darkness. Living is giving. If you are not giving to this church and you're a member of this church, that's who I'm talking to right now. I'm talking to those of you who have said, I commit myself to this fellowship. I commit my time, my treasures, my talent to this body of believers. We've gone through that in the Connections class. You've seen that in our discussion. You've heard that in our discussion. But if you are not giving, I have this question for you. What if everyone followed your example? Three reasons so far. Three reasons so far of why... Why to live this way? Number one, only heavenly treasure is secure. Number two, your heart follows your treasure. And we want our heart to be set on the things above. Number three, it is the difference between living in the darkness and living in the light. Fourth and final reason is verse 24. It is impossible to do both. It is impossible to do both. Look at verse 24. Look, the, the, there's no command here. This is an emphatic statement of fact. No one can serve two masters. Can't be done. For either he will hate the one and love the other. This is not absolute, this is relative, this is in comparison. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or wealth. So the fourth reason why we should store up in heaven and not on earth is it is impossible to do both. Are you listening to me? It is impossible to do both. You cannot store up treasures in heaven and you cannot store up treasures on earth simultaneously. These two things are mutually exclusive in the mind of Christ. You see, with two masters, it is impossible to give total allegiance And that's that's what disciples are supposed to be about. We're talking total allegiance to our master. If you have two masters, you can't give total allegiance because the day is coming when they will have conflicting demands on your life, right? The day is coming when they will have opposing demands on your life. It would be like having two wives. I just don't think it's going to work. Because the day is coming very, very quickly when there's going to be opposing demands on your life. Verse 24 is so massively important. Because when we get into the blinding light of materialism, stuff, possessions, we convince ourselves, we reason to ourselves that we can do both. We say to ourselves, I can be rich toward God and I can I can be rich toward the things of the gospel, and I can pile up earthly treasures. And Jesus says, no, you can't. That's why verse 24 is so critical to this discussion. You cannot serve God and wealth. And to believe that you can shows that your eye is bad. It shows that it's foggy, it's cloudy, it's not seeing clearly. Now this is very interesting. The word wealth here is this Aramaic word mammon. And it's Aramaic for wealth or property or possessions. But what's interesting here is Jesus personifies it. It really ought to be capitalized in our Bibles. He personifies wealth as a person... As an owner, as a master, in contrast to who? God. God as a person, as a master, as an owner. And that's what he's doing there at the end of verse 24. What he's saying is you cannot, you cannot trust both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot love both God and money. These things are mutually exclusive. They can't be done. Because you can't be owned by both God and money. Really what verse 24 is saying is choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Almighty God or the almighty dollar. And you can't be both. You see, you can take the word serve and expand it biblically to mean trust, love, fear, devote yourself to, right? It's, all of that is wrapped up in the word serve when you consider the whole Bible. I ask myself the question then, why is verse 24 true? Because we, our flesh doesn't want it to be true. We want to be able to say, I can live in both worlds. I can have devotion and love and service in both arenas. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is verse 24 uniquely true? Beyond the fact that Jesus said it, right? Now think with me, here's why. Because perhaps more than anything else in our lives, money can become a substitute for God. I don't think anything else compares to what could take the place of God, where we could fall into idolatry. See, in our sinful flesh, in the lost world around us, they put their hope in money. They put joy, they find joy You can find security, meaning you can actually find your identity in your possessions, in your car, in your clothes, in your house, in your vocation. You see the contrast here? You see why Jesus personified it? Because there's nothing like money to take the place of God. We pursue it. We trust it. We depend upon it. Money can become our purpose for life. It can become our Savior. It can become our God. We can think we're invincible because we have money. We can think we can, we can, you know, pay enough to the right doctors that we'll live forever. I'm talking about our society, our culture. And this is in contrast to give us this day our daily bread. This is in contrast to the total dependence on God. Instead, we say, I've got enough money to feed myself for the rest of my life. Why do I need to really depend on God? Or instead of thinking, wow, God may have given me all of this abundance so that I could be his means to answer that prayer in someone else's life. Why do I have more than I need so that God would use me to be the means of daily bread to somebody praying, God, give me this day my daily bread. It doesn't fall out of the sky. It comes from the hand of a Christian. Instead of thy kingdom come and thy will be done, we say, can you wait a while, Jesus? I've got my bucket list. I've got some stuff I want to do. I've got some stuff I want to buy. Instead of battling sin and confessing sin and realizing that sin is a major issue in our life, instead of praying against the devil, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from Satan, instead of having a mindset like that, no, let's just grow our portfolio larger and larger and larger while the fields are empty of workers. I'm talking about the gospel fields and the harvest of the gospel. It really comes down to this. Am I going to live for the Great Commission or the American Dream? That's the battle. In this corner, the Great Commission. And in this corner, the American Dream. And they're mutually exclusive. I can't live for both. I can't be devoted to both. I can't serve both. I can't love both. I must choose this day whom I will serve. The great commission of Christ to go and make disciples or the American dream of more and more and more and more and more. Choose today who you will serve, God or money? God or money? Four reasons then to pile up treasures in heaven instead of hoarding them on earth. Only heavenly treasure is safe. Our hearts always follow our treasure. It's the difference between living in the light and living in darkness. And it is absolutely impossible to do both. And so I ask you, what changes are needed in your spending? What changes are needed in your investing? What changes are needed in your finances? I ask us all, whose financial advice are we going to listen to? Whose financial advice are we going to heed the Lord Jesus or the world. I want to conclude with a little theological reflection. I think some um, some honey to go down with this medicine. <laughs> some uh, reminder of who's saying this and perhaps why. Some theological reflection. As I stepped away from this passage, what struck me perhaps more than anything else was how much our Lord Jesus loves us. This is such love, such boundaries. This is like when God gave Israel the law coming out of Egypt, not to put a burden on them that crushes them, but but to say to them, I love you and this is for your good, this is for your safety, this is for your protection. And so it is with our Lord Jesus Christ here. He gives us these commands because He loves us. This is pure grace. Here are guardrails for our hearts that we desperately need. He is not calling us here to a life of misery. He is not calling us here to abject poverty. He's not saying sell everything you own and live an absolute impoverished life. They had a money box, the disciples. That means they carried around some money. No need to have a money box if you're not going to have a little in storage every once in a while. In other words, they didn't turn around and everything that was given to them immediately give it to someone else. When Barnabas sold his land, he didn't sell everything he owned. He sold a piece of property and he gave that money to the apostles. This is not a call to socialism. This is not an upending of capitalism and personal ownership. This is not a call to misery and abject poverty. This is a call to love God. (laughs) This is why it's love. This is a call to us to love and serve God. To make God your ultimate treasure. To find your satisfaction and meaning and purpose and value and identity in God through Christ. That's what this is. What this is doing for us, beloved, is I want to bring you under the lordship of God, who is a benevolent master, a good king, instead of being enslaved to materialism, instead of being in bondage to credit card debt, instead of being in bondage to keeping up with the Joneses. And always having to have the, the latest clothes or the nicest gadgets or the best whatever. That's bondage. And He's freeing us from that to say, here is something infinitely better. God Himself. Infinitely better than anything you could set your heart on from this world. This is pure love. This is pure grace. And He goes even further than that. He doesn't just tell us to do it, but graciously tells us Why? like a wise parent with, with growing up kids, you don't just tell them what to do and what not to do, you tell them why. And Jesus is doing this here for us, out of love for us, out of the desire to persuade us to what is the best path in life. What He's doing then is calling us to live as God's slave and God's Son, not the world's slave. And what He's doing, oh, how freeing this really is. He is freeing us from hoarding. He is releasing us to a life of giving, to a life of being conduits for God, to being instruments of righteousness in the hands of God, right? Instead of mine, 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 it's not enough, i got to have more, more, more. He's saying, no, I'm going to turn you loose to live a life that brings eternal reward. Eternal reward. Did you notice verse 19? Do not store up For yourselves. And verse 20, but store up for yourselves. He's talking about reward. He's talking about eternal reward. He's talking about a life that matters forever. So, who wants to be free this morning from materialism, from greed, from lust of the eye? Who wants to be free from hoarding and piling up and released, released to live a life of joyful giving? Here's the prescription let's pray. Father God, thank you for the clarity of your word, for the boldness of our Lord Jesus to preach this to his first century contemporaries, who many of them, Lord, nothing like we have, they were living hand to mouth. If they had a, if anybody had a reason to, to hoard or, or pile up a little bit, or if anybody had a reason to be worried, it would be these people. And he boldly proclaimed these truths to them and We believe He has to us again today, Lord, through Your Word. I pray for all of us who claim the name of Christ, who submit to the Lordship of Jesus, that we would leave here committed to being doers of this Word and not hearers only. That we would sit down and strategize, and downsize, and liquidate, and invest in what brings eternal reward. Father, give us wisdom, give us discernment, and give us your eyes, the light of your eyes for this issue. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.